very sorry that it's intrusive in your personal space, but at mm. least, darling, unlike most of these recordings, you have a drink of champis. <laughs> I still don't know what it is, and it smells so weird. It's a... How it's, to describe to this? Ha- shall I shall I paint you a word picture of, of your champis drink? Champis. So if just you will. to give context, um, we were gifted a can, a foreign can of fizzy drink that was called champis, and appeared <laughs> to have a picture of grapes on the outside, but it doesn't look like it contains grapes. I'd like to clarify, Joe, that you were gifted it. And you bottled out drinking it, and now you've given it to me, and I'm giving it a go. Um, right, it's got an unusual bouquet. It kind of smells like sweets, but very faintly. Right. And then you drink it. Okay. And it's like a cross between apple ties and Palmer violets. Ooh. It's very bizarre. I, I don't dislike it. I have I have had it in the fridge, so mm. at least it's not like you know lukewarm because that'd be rank. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm drinking champis. Well, enjoy it because we'll never if, be able to find it again. Actually, knows what's in it. <laughs> you know, like tomorrow I'll wake up and I've grown blue eyebrows or something really wacky like that. Um, yeah, if anybody could actually illuminate us as to what is in champis, that'd be great. Mm. Meanwhile, I am drinking beer. Mm. Mm. Stick with what you know, that's my advice. <laughs> hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... So, this story yeah. takes place in the Victorian era. Right. And your three words, Scottish. Nice. Engineering. Very good. Clown. Okay. Any thoughts? Any opening remarks? Not really, but I do like Scotland, so I'm excited. Um, just, and also for clarity, um, standing in for Matt again. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, the vid ain't going nowhere. Well, it was technical difficulties. Because technical difficulties. When we recorded this, it <clears> took four <throat> hours and it was so long, the audio file corrupted. Yeah. That's how, how long a session it was. Indeed, so, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm jumping in for a bit. But let's get into this. So, mm. when you think of bridges... Oh, champis. You do not think of champis. No, sorry, it was really carbonated just... Oh dear. If anything, when you think of Scottish bridges, it shouldn't be Champis, it should be Urnbrew. Urnbrew. I don't like Urnbrew. I know you don't. Which is, it, it's sacrilege as far as I'm concerned. But when you think of bridges, you think of Scotsmen. Because at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, the Scottish were in a prime position, having already increased their literacy rate via a network of Calvinist schools. So unlike the thick, Southern brethren in England. Mm-hmm. Most are we brethren? Not most really. people in Scotland had a basic education, and by most people, I mean most men, because yeah, you know of course. this is where we are. Uh, the schools have been set up with the expressed purpose of ensuring that everybody could have the joy of studying the Bible. Oh, the joy! Yeah, <laughs> RE was definitely not my favourite subject at school. I don't know about you. I assume not, but it had the bonus knock-on effect that. 
with literacy and with the ability to do some book learning, Scottish people were more able to take on a wider role of professional jobs. Mm -hmm. It was said that social mobility was easier in Scotland due to the democratising effect of near-universal education, again, mainly among men. Yeah. And regardless of how true that actually was, Thomas Telford would have made the perfect poster boy for this idea. He was born into near poverty on a hill farm in Eskdale, and his fortunes took a turn for the worse almost immediately. Oh, my God. uh, When his father, who was a shepherd, so not exactly the highest paying job in the world, dropped dead almost instantaneously after his birth. Christ. So we don't know if it was the shock of becoming a father (laughs) that killed him. Well, I think the shock of Evie's birth nearly finished you off. So, So, yeah, you know, they're there together, this little couple. And he's going, I know we're basically subsistence farmers, but at least you've got my money coming in from the sheep farm. Yeah. And then as she is finishing, squeezing out this kid, still panting, still in a state of... You know, drug-induced euphoria, all those endorphins and stuff. It have been drug-induced back in the Victoriana times. Okay, Give well, over. Women just had to, like, squat and hope. And they had that woman screaming at them, telling them to not to be so wet. When I say drug, I'm, I'm meaning mainly alcohol in this situation, I imagine. But just she was making that up. You don't know that. It's what I'd be asking for if I was expected to give birth up a hill. In Scotland. It, nah, people just got on with it, Joe. Oh. We're women. We're not men. We just get on with it. We're not. You are. That's I what I mean. I was, I was talking on You were talking to your peoples. Of me and my peoples. Right, okay. Well, whatever the, whatever the circumstances surrounding the death, mm. um, it meant that young Thomas was going to be raised in absolute poverty. Not just, mm. not just you know, relative poverty uh, by his mother. And he would have had severely limited prospects south of the border, but with a can-do attitude and basic education, yep. he became an apprentice stonemason. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good job, if you can get it. Well, he, he was quite good at it. And in his teens, he built a bridge over the local river, the River Esk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he decided that that pretty much made him a civil engineer. I don't know what a civil engineer is. Big building projects. He's not an architect? No. Oh, you see, where where do you draw the line? I'm seeing blurred lines here. He decided he'd built one bridge, so he was a professional bridge builder now. Bridge builder, that was right. his job. Okay. Uh, and he said he was a civil engineer. That's mm. the important thing. He just started referring to himself as a civil engineer uh, and began building bridges across Britain. Is a civil, en- civil engineer an architect for bridges and stuff? Yeah, large-scale engineering projects. For public good, generally. So an architect might design a house, a a civil engineer would design a motorway system or a new bridge or a dam. You don't come to me for, like, (laughs) deep and meaningful conversation. It seems the weirdest thing to start asking. It's just like, he's making bridges and you're like, yes, but what exactly is a civil engineer? What's the the Oxford Dictionary definition of one, please? I'm sorry. Mm. It's been a very long week. Right, should we try that one again? Please. He built a bridge over the local river, the River Esk, in his late teens, and decided that pretty much made him a civil engineer. Very good. There we go. So he said he was one. He was one. And he went south of the border, where the local English people couldn't read a book and couldn't learn how to build a bridge, and started 
building bridges on their behalf all across the British Isles. Go on then, name me some bridges what he built. We're, we're getting to it. He's built his bridge over the Esk. Remembering that first bridge job fondly, he was always ready to design a bridge. He built other things, but he would never say no to a bridge. Okay. And by 1819, he had designed over 20 of the damn things. All the 20 designs for bridges, and I'm not No, so I didn't sure. say he designed 20 different... He built 20 bridges. No, you did. You said he designed 20 bridges. I don't it's think there's not 20 designs different... for bridges. Not, not out of stone. Uh, okay, he designed 20 separate arched bridges. Mm. Because you can't just... It's not a cut and paste job because the banks will be different depending on where you're building it. Okay. The size of the, you know, the supports that you're going to need will be different, won't they? Yeah. You really are getting... You're in an argumentative mood tonight. I am. Um, yeah. Mm. Possibly because he was getting bored with using the same cut and copy paste bridge <laughs> they had been using for... <laughs> control alt, whatever yeah. it is. Control, uh, control V. Control V, uh, The it. same control V bridge that he'd been using for 20 times. He decided... I need to mix it up. And when he had a request to build a bridge between Anglesey and mainland Wales... Nice. He decided this was the time to try something a bit different. Time to shine. Yeah. And he presented Parliament, for twas the British Parliament themselves who had commissioned this new bridge. Not the Welsh Parliament. Now, this is Victorian Britain. This was all... This was before devolution. What's that? When we gave um, Scotland a Parliament and Wales a Parliament and Northern Ireland a Parliament. I thought they were separate... No, no. The, the Welsh still send MPs to, to... In fact, the Scottish and the Welsh send, and the Northern Irish send MPs to Westminster. This was a Westminster idea. Oh, okay. Um, so he presented Parliament in Westminster with plans for a suspension bridge and all of the MPs agreed that it looked very fancy and impressive and was very much in keeping with the overall aesthetic of the Industrial Revolution because up until this point... No one in the world had built a suspension bridge. So this is a brand new design. Oh, this is the one. Yeah. The people of Anglesey itself were slightly less keen because they didn't need a cutting-edge bridge. They just needed a bridge. A bridge, yeah. Because what they really wanted to be able to do was to get their cows from Anglesey across the dangerous Manai Strait so that they could sell them. Uh, And they didn't really care how that was brought about whether it was the most cutting edge suspension bridge design or whether it was a couple of planks well essentially it just needs to be a suspended road what they can drive the cows across Mm. isn't it right well cattle was the main industry of the island and the lack of a bridge meant that they were forced when they wanted to take them across the mainland to basically drive them through the manai strait at low tide oh my god Uh, and apparently they lost many a heifer en route (laughs) Just bother. You'd be like, now, nah, mate. I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna cobble shoes instead. <laughs> it's not worth my time. That's not what the people of Anglesey do. They're not cobblers. No. They're beef farmers. The beef farmers. Yeah. Sorry. It's all about the beef. Not milk. Um. I. I, I believe it was um for the meat, hmm. rather than for the milk. I'm guessing they had at least one milk in herd to keep the good people of Anglesey in calcium. But generally, Jeez. it was about let's let's do sides of beef. The increasingly irate farmers, though, had to watch for seven years as the new bridge was painstakingly constructed. To be honest, compared to some of the other projects that 
the UK has embarked on, seven years is not that long. It is if every single time you want to make some money, you're having to run the risk of yeah, losing profits. So. I suppose. I suppose if you if your alternative is driving a cow through water at low tide, then yeah. And to okay. be fair, Thomas Telford had built bridges across similar expanses in a matter of one or two years using tried and tr- trusted sort of you know arched oh, it's designs. Too fancy. Why bother? But this was well, it was the first suspension bridge, wasn't mm. it? So it was going to encounter a few hiccups on the okay. way. Okay. Uh, that needed ironing out. In fact, another suspension bridge in Conway that he also designed was finished the same year as the Manai Strait Bridge, mm. despite, despite the fact it was started three years later. So he was he was speeding up the process quite rapidly, you know. Where was, shaved Conway? Through. It's another Welsh bridge. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he, to be fair to Telford, he was very quickly um, improving the sort of... Uh, project managing process of building a suspension bridge it just wasn't very helpful for the people of Anglesey at that point but he got there in the end and on January the 30th 1826 the bridge was ready and it was opened to much fanfare imagine a brass band imagine a local dignitary yeah I imagine a champagne bottle on a ribbon they're always I don't know where they're suspended from these champagne bottles on ribbons, but there always is one. Well you're thinking of boats, aren't you? Yeah. So it'll be on don't they have cranes around when they're building boats I to have sort of lower no stuff? Idea. I'm guessing it's suspended to one of the cranes in the dock and they just sort of swing it from that. Because they do seem to have a bloody wrong, long rope to swing yeah, it from. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, I don't know what they're tying it to if it swing the bottle. Crane. You know those two big cranes in Belfast? Oh, yeah. That's all they were used for. They they were just used to suspend champagne bottles. <laughs> so is it, you could, that's why they moved, so you could yeah, get the angle get, right. get the swing on it. That may or may not be true. This is not true. It may or may not be true. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, the suspended roadway, it turned out to be a bit unstable in the wind. Oh, good. And this would be a problem for any bridge. But yes, it, it was a problem for the Millennium Bridge yeah, but in, it, uh, in London, wasn't it? Well, it turns out, it's funny you should mention London, that the Manai Strait is a particularly windy part of the country with an average wind speed that's 10 kilometres per hour higher than London at any given time. Ooh. Yeah. And five kilometres per hour faster than Lancaster, where we live. And you know that this hill is bloody windy. It's very windy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, the number of times I've put washing outside and it's wrapped itself around the flipping washing line to the point where I actually can't untangle it because mm-hmm. it's been so windy. Yeah, well, imagine it's a summer job only, really. <laughs> yeah, imagine that kind of frustration. Only the thing that's getting tangled around the line is the footway of your bridge. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm getting that. I'm getting so, that as a result of this incredibly windy place, uh-huh. uh, the deck would wobble and pitch probably making the poor cows wish for the good old days when they just had to do a little bit of a paddle uh, from one bank to the other. So, You would have thought the weight of the cows would have kind of like stabilised it a little bit. Well, possibly. Cows are very heavy. Yes. Lots of of cows are very, very heavy. Yeah, that's not a controversial statement as far as I know. No. Unless you feed them nothing but helium. Yeah. Oh, the, vicious, the visualisation I've got there. No. What's the only thing you can do? You know, if you want the squirty cream in the in the <laughs> bottle. Oh, I'm just thinking cow balloons. <laughs> just walking, walking across. <laughs> <laughs> You'd love a cow balloon, oh, wouldn't you? 
Oh, fantastic. But yes, so... <laughs> Pat on the head. <laughs> oh, shampoos. <laughs> what is in this drink? It's made me very weird. It's non-alcoholic. I know, but it's making me very weird. Okay, so alterations had to be made three times in the next hundred years. Yeah. But the Manai Bridge is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Although the same day it received this status, one of the lanes was shut to traffic for works that would last for over nine months. So they were gifted this award and they immediately went, it is now a one-way system. In the mornings, you can drive off Anglesey and in the afternoons, you can drive back onto Anglesey. And that was in place for nine months because that's the way us Brits do things. We can't just enjoy an award. We have to in some way ruin it. Anyway, despite these hiccups, it was clear that Thomas's newfangled suspension bridges were the future. Okay. And they would become more and more common in the following decades, but... Shaky bridges all round. Well, if Thomas Telford was able to build a shaky bridge, imagine what would happen when people were trying to build it and they didn't have the same engineering skill as Thomas Telford. Because the same year that the Manai and Conway bridges were completed, another Scottish engineer called Samuel Brown mm. opened a smaller suspension bridge in Manchester. Okay. Where? It, well, you, I'll tell you where. Okay. <laughs> no, Manchester, that's all you get in. <laughs> Just Manchester. <laughs> Somewhere in the third most populous city in the country. And that's that's enough specificity there. Um, no, it was to cross the River Irwell. Oh, good old Irwell. Which, as far as I'm concerned, is, is a ditch with ideas about his station. <laughs> but It's so gross. It it's... only had to be a tenth the length of the Manai Bridge, and the private investor who commissioned it wanted it finished quickly so that he could start charging people a crossing fee because he figured Victorian people had so little to get excited about they would pay money for the experience of walking across a, a, a the suspension River bridge. You don't need to go across the River Irwell to to go round Manchester. No, no, no. This was literally for a novelty. So he thought if he oh built a, a suspension bridge... <laughs> attraction. Yeah, it's an attraction. People oh will pay God. so that they can walk over the bridge and be like, oh, I've been on one of those newfangled suspension bridges. Oh, my God. Right, okay. And I didn't even have to leave Manchester to do it. It's the level of excitement we're going for, is it? Very good. Oh, sorry, I didn't mm. hear that. So it was designed for a few, you know, a few pedestrians looking for a bit of a giddy thrill <laughs> on a Friday night in lieu of going down the bars. Yeah. Um, unfortunately or watching paint dry mm-hmm. unfortunately the position of the bridge meant that it became a shortcut for soldiers returning to the army barracks in Salford yes and it did not appear that Sam Brown had ever planned for his little bridge to have to withstand regu- regular detachments of men marching in lockstep across it oh and this happened for a few years and then on 12th of April 1831 mm-hmm the poor little bridge had reached its limit. Oh, did it just pack up? Mm-hmm. Well, the men of the 60th Rifle Corps were crossing. Corpse? Corps. Corpse? No, corps. No, it's definitely say corpse. It, it said corps. The men of the 60th Rifles... Corps. No, I'm just leaving it now. M- men of the 60th Rifles... Yes. Yeah. They were crossing and they noticed that the bridge was vibrating under their feet. Right. So... so what would you do? Run. Well, yes, but you're a sensible woman. Yes, I am. Uh, they were men 
uh, and they naturally try to make it wobble more because they found it funny. God, that is something, that's something our little boy would do. Yep. Oh my God. Of uh, course, they didn't find it quite so funny uh, when the bridge collapsed, injuring 40 of them. Though luckily, because they were falling into what is a big puddle. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's nothing. Yeah. The river where Irwell truly is nothing. Mm. Uh, if you want, to, if you want to create your own river, Irwell, just get the hose pipe out, <laughs> lay it down, <laughs> and just j- just turn it on a little. Just so you got that trickle down your. Pipe. That's pretty there, much there. yeah. <laughs> Try uh, and put a suspension bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but or just you know, step over it. Because because this was a toy bridge, essentially, no one yeah. died. Good. The investigation found that a key bolt anchoring one of the chains had snapped. Oh. It was suggested that future bridges needed to have fail-safe mechanisms, yeah. be robust enough for purpose, and that any changes in use needed to be evaluated before they could take place. All sound ideas there. All promptly ignored. And the only legacy of the first suspension bridge collapse was that the army, the British army, issued an order that all detachments of soldiers needed to break step when crossing bridges in the future. All right, cause, so that's what they decided it was then. It was just the fact that they were all marching. It, it was the fact that with each step, because it was such a... Oh, it, it was, it was like, a greater force. Boom. It was okay. putting way too much force through the bolts and one of them just sheared. Okay. And as soon as one goes, sort of the stresses are placed in other parts of the bridge yeah. and they're more likely to fail. So you get that sort of catastrophic... Um, sequence of events that that happens anyway the year after the collapse of the little little bridge that tried (laughs) the little bridge that didn't yeah the the little bridge that it turns out couldn't um the people of great yarmouth were having a problem with their own new bridge over the river burr who made that one well I'm i'm gonna tell you please do because the most important thing is that it wasn't even a scot which is dangerous times. Okay. It was a British man called... Oh God, yes, it is. G- well, an Englishman, British man. It's not a Scot, it's a Brit. No, that's very dismissive. That's very dismissive. Yeah. Scottish people are British people, so long as they're winning at sports. Yes. Then they're British. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a Brit- an English architect called Joseph John Scholes, and he had been asked to design a slender, sensual bridge to support a walkway just for pedestrians. So he'd stuck to the brief, lovely little pretty bridge. And then he went back to doing what he normally did, which was design churches. Begs the question, why go to him? Maybe he he was cheap. Okay, he's either cheap or he's bigged himself up to be more than he actually is. Well, I think... Because that's... You know, like when we were saying... That's as as stupid as saying, okay, well, I make clothes for a a living, so I'm just going to take a bash at making your wedding cake. Have you ever done it before? No, but design's design. I'm sure I can have a stab at it. Never mind the fact that I don't know what half the ingredients are. Never mind the fact I don't know how to ice the bugger. What's the difference? I have a sewing machine. You know what I mean? It's just like, now, mate, you build buildings. Probably, or most likely, out of stone. Well, a church you're, is. You're, exactly. So, and, and, no, no, I'm not having it. Well, you Who are having him? it. Who picked him? We don't, I didn't figure that one out. Bobby Numpty. Well, I'm guessing the local commissioners, sort of like the the, um, the councilmen, the, had a look and said, right, who could we ask? And they went and asked him and he said, you know, he was flattered. He said, yeah, go on then. It's a nice change of pace from no. building steeples. I'll give it a go. And he designed a lovely bridge. 
Right, I'll tell you what then. At some point, if some bloke comes to you with a scalpel and says, I've heard you're a nurse. Do you fancy a bit of open heart surgery? Would you take the scalpel and say, yeah, go on, I'll give it a bash? No, you wouldn't, would you? I kind of would. If there were no no repercussions to a bad job. But there are. There is always repercussions to a bad job, Joe. We'll see. There is. Foreshadowing, but we'll Mm. see. So, he designed his pretty little bridge Mm -hmm. and he went back to his churches. Then, the people constructing the bridge realised that they'd given him the wrong measurements and it needed to be about six metres longer. (coughs) Okay, so... No, this was the people who commissioned him. They gave him the wrong measurements. It needs to be six metres longer. And instead of going back to Joe and going, Joe, we need you to come back and have a look over it, Mm. they just figured they could lengthen the chains to accommodate the extra walkway and cracked on. No. Well, no. But they figured it'll do. It's only taking... A few people walking over it now and then. It's on the outskirts of town. It's fine. Right, okay. Okay? Yeah. Uh, They were unaware, probably, that it would impact on the integrity of the bridge because they wanted to save money. And when you ask people to have a look over it, you have to pay them money to do that. This will be a council somewhere. Well, it is. It's Great Great Yarmouth Council. They, They... Looked at it. Anything and, to save a couple of quid. Well, isn't this is it. it. They, they looked at it and they went, "We if we call Joe back, he's going to ask for extra money. And if we try and get another architect to come and have a look at it, another civil engineer to come and check it over, they're going to ask for a consultancy fee. Oh, or we could just lengthen the chains, and we've got to pay exactly the cost of the extra chain. And then jobs are good and we're away. So, so what you're actually saying is, instead of doing a proper job, we're going to bodge it and hope like hell it ha- it all works out just great and it would have done Mm. but then the local planners decided that do you know it would be great if they could reroute a road over the bridge to take take carriages no 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 no. Um, they're doing it to themselves now we've got none of my sympathy sympathy what very small amount of sympathy I had which to be honest was flaky at best is now gone well they rerouted the road over anyway Mm. And then they realised that because they'd asked Joseph to design a a nice little pedestrian bridge, there wasn't enough space for the carriages and pedestrians. So rather than consulting Joseph about how they could adapt the bridge... They haven't consulted him at all. They've essentially let him sketch it and done nothing else. They've signed it off. He's drawn a little picture with his measurements on it, his little blueprint or whatever... He signed it off. He's given it to them, and they have not spoken to him since. Well, no, he's gone back to. But they've not spoken to anyone since because. Oh my god. They they didn't want to have to pay, and probably in the back of the mind, they were worried that if they actually consulted an architect, that architect would come back and say, "What you need here is a different bridge. You need to knock this down. You need to start again because (laughs) what you did was you commissioned something that won't do what you want it to do." (laughs) It won't be a bridge. Yeah. They decided that what they'd do instead was bodge some new walkways to the outer edge of the bridge. Oh, my God. For the pedestrians. I mean, this could only go one way, couldn't it, really? Well, no, no. They they connected it up to the main chains, which put extra um, pressure on the main chains because they were now holding the main walkway and an extra sort of overhang walkway. Um. 
and what you've got to remember is these chains had already been um, carrying a greater load than they'd been designed to for three years by this point. But over a decade later, in 1845, it was still standing. Very good. You know, so there's a few ominous creaks every now and then. That's that's character. That's what people people know that that bridge has got personality. If I could audibly eye roll. Mm. But the saving grace, darling, was that it was never particularly overcrowded. Although there was a road routed over it, it wasn't oh. a major road. And the pedestrian traffic was still quite light. It doesn't matter. It won't It won't give comfort to the people who I now feel are condemned to dying underneath this bridge. Well, it would have all been fine, but the city council planners, oh the council planners of Great Yarmouth had not accounted yes. for geese. Yes, that was their downfall. Would you like me to explain? Uh, Joe, this all boils down to them wanting to save a penny. Yes, but would you like me to explain about the geese? If, if you must. Good, because it's a long and winding story. You see, the Georgian era had not just seen Scottish people taking the lead in engineering. We were in the Victorian era. No, the Industrial Revolution started in the Georgian era. This this bridge was built in the Victorian era, but we're going back. Oh going God, back to the Georgian God, era right. again. I'm just moving the mic. Hang on, bear with. <clears throat> so... The Georgian era had not just seen Scottish people taking the lead in engineering. In 1780, a man called Thomas Cook, but not the one you're thinking of, <laughs> oh. had decided to run away and join the sh- and join the circus <laughs> and join <laughs> and join the circus. Although he oh, did have Sean, Sean Connery's accent, <laughs> probably. Sean, Sean, I can't say it. Sean's joined the circus. <laughs> yeah, you. I knew that's what you were going for. Alas, there wasn't a circus in Ayrshire at the time. I'll have to leave this in as an outtake. Do you want to listen to the version where we just go through the story? Or do you want to listen to the version where halfway through we take a two-hour interlude? Sorry. <laughs> I'm a very giggly person if something sits me right. That's, that's me for the rest of the evening. I'm sorry, because I can keep recalling it. <laughs> oh, God, um, I'm sorry. I want, oh, to, I want to talk oh, to you about oh, Thomas geese. Cook. I want Thomas to talk to you about... Thomas Cook and his geese. They're not Thomas Cook's geese. Don't worry. <laughs> they're not Thomas Cook's geese, right, okay. Um, he's, he's geese affiliated, but he's not the geese owner. <laughs> okay. I want, to talk- I want to talk to you about Thomas Cook Goose Circus. <laughs> Goose Circus. No. Oh. So he decided to run away and join the circus, but there wasn't one in Ayrshire at the time, which was a slight wrinkle. Much to my relief. Yeah. So being an enterprising young man, he decided he'd create one. One that he claimed was the first equestrian circus in the world, which considering... that so got to do with geese. We're not to the geese oh, yet. Right. He's starting out with horses. Oh. You know, the easier animal. You move on to a goose. Have you ever tried to ride a goose? <coughs> no, but I think I prefer it to a horse. Right, well, he created, he claimed it was the world's first equestrian circus, but as we know... That seems like a very odd statement. I don't like horses. Yeah, Romans, when they had their chariot racing things, they were called yeah. circuses as well, weren't they? They were, yes, indeed. So 
You could argue that there'd been a circus in Colchester over a thousand years before, but that's me being pedantic. It is. And we're talking dit dit We're talking dit 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 People standing up on a horse. People doing hula hoop on a horse. Juggling. Juggling on a horse, yeah. Okay. So the first equestrian circus in the world began touring his horse-themed show all around Scotland. And it was quite popular because Robbie Burns himself... Robbie Burns? Robbie. He wrote about attending an early performance and by 1830, Thomas Cook's son, Thomas Cook, was able to boast a glowing review from King William IV and gosh, taking advantage of the marketing possibilities, he mm. immediately rebranded as Cook's Royal Circus. Nice. And when I say glowing review, I'm guessing he ran up to the king and went, excuse me, my liege, did you enjoy it? And the king went, oh, yes, yes, right. yes very good. And he went, yes, a glowing review. <laughs> Let's carry on. I just imagine a... <laughs> yeah, he, he took it, yeah, all <laughs> yeah. the way. By royal decree. Wait, <laughs> I never said that. Too late. <laughs> I've printed it now. So, oh, it's like them, uh, them vans that have the royal seal on them because yeah. they once might have rocked up at the at a royal house. Mm. Yeah. So keen to increase his profits now that he was the royal circus because, you know, William the Fourth had stayed for the entire performance. Mm. Uh, he chartered a ship to head over to the US of A in 1836 okay. because there's a, there were people over there who hadn't yet there were seen. people over there. <laughs> hadn't yet seen his circus. And apparently the people of America quite liked horses. Well, did they not have the Wild West shows? Well, yeah, this was he was going up against. What a twat. So he travelled up and down the eastern seaboard to rave reviews. The good people of the original 13 colonies, they loved it. And it would have been a completely successful trip. That was until they reached Baltimore in 1838. Okay. And the theatre they were performing at happened to burn down. They lost most of their props and sadly over 50 horses. Oh my God, that's awful. Though they were able to recoup some of the losses by declaring it an impromptu barbecue. I'm going to burp. Like really loud, I can feel it. <laughs> is that is that due to the idea of roasting horse meat? Has it just got you salivating? No, no, sorry, it's gone now. It's gone now. Yeah. So yeah, the idea of roasting horse meat made you immediately start to salivate, didn't it? Uh, The Cook family, because over 40 of the performers by this point were related to Thomas, (coughs) Mm -hmm. hopefully not all his children, Um, I'm guessing extended family, but Mm -hmm. they returned to Britain to begin all over again, starting from scratch. Oh, God. But this time, they decided that they'd do it with a large tent that they could set up wherever they wanted, reducing the risk of further fires, because they'd be in control of the setup. On May 2nd, 1845... The Cook Royal Circus was going to be performing just outside of Great Yarmouth. Oh, my God. And in order to drum up business, they had announced a special free event. The company's chief clown, Nelson, because much like Sting and Madonna after him, only needed the one name. Beyonce and whoever else. Loads, loads of people. He he was he was a clown with the elevated status that he only needed Lulu. one name. Yeah, like like Lulu. <laughs> he was the Lulu of his day. <laughs> he was going to sail down the River Burr in a tub, being pulled by four geese. Poor geese. Well, this was amazingly a tried and tested way of drumming up enthusiasm for a circus show. This wasn't them coming up with it on the fly. This what? was a known crowd pleaser. Nah. 
It had first been performed by a clown called Richard Usher. Usher, Usher. Yeah, yeah. In in 1809, who had been pulled down the Thames by geese. Oh, my God. However, he had gone one step further. Through the poo? Yep. Through the Great Stink? This would have been before the Great Stink, but yeah, it still would have been a pretty pooey river. He was in a tub. He was fine. He wasn't in the water. Why didn't we cover this in our Thames sessions? Because nothing happened to Usher. He did geese it. In yeah. the poo. The, ge- the geese were fine. They were contributing to the poo, if anything. But when he got out, it got better because he was then riding to the theatre in a carriage pulled by eight cats. Nah, I'm yeah. not having that. No, obviously it was a trick, but he was sat in a carriage and it looked as though eight cats were pulling it. How did he manage that? I want more details. You can't just skirt the details of this. I am skirting. A magician never reveals his secrets. And Mr Usher didn't, as the premier clown magician of the time. As someone who is owned by two cats, because that is the way round cats live, Hmm. we can't convince them to do anything they don't want to do. Well, these cats were well trained. Who knows how? And actually, people were so amazed that the crowds built and built and built to the point where the cats could no longer make forward progress because unlike horses, they can't bull their way through a crowd of humans and he had to abandon his cart. But it was okay because a bunch of the um, ferrymen from the river, they pulled one of the boats out, stuck Mr Usher in the boat, lifted it on their shoulders and walked him through the crowd to get to the things. It It was tough times. People needed protein. Oh my God. The cats were abandoned at that point. That's horrendous, Joe. That's made me sad. Well, Nelson wasn't going to do the cat thing because he was an animal rights activist. Good. He was due to set off at 5pm the evening of the show and the good people of East Anglia had travelled for miles, miles around in order to ensure that they didn't miss the fun of seeing a man in makeup in a tub on a river. Pulled by geese. With some geese. Okay. Thousands crowded the banks of the Burr and hundreds of spectators were packing onto the suspension bridge, though critically, only onto the southern walkway. Oh my God, it's going to tip over. And as is always the case with events like this, the front row of spectators was mainly children. Oh my God. The bridge creaked and groaned, but probably couldn't be heard over the sounds of excited chatter. Um, And Nelson, he was waiting for the perfect moment to make his appearance. He got everything set up, he was just waiting he could feel the buzz of the crowd. He could oh, feel no, it. Oh no, Joe! This is this is going to be an absolute horrendous moment. Oh. Go on, just just can we just get to it? Can we just rip the cord on this? Because I it's no, this, making this, me sad. there's a little bit more oh, a build up. God. The crowd on the bridge swelled and was around four to five people deep when one of the long-suffering suspension chains ripped loose. Luckily, it was attached at two separate housing points, and the remaining coupling held. Right. The people on the bridge, for some unknown reason. Uh, they decided not to evacuate the walkway. Not immediately, anyway. They stayed put for another five minutes. And I can only imagine this is the British thing of, well, if everybody else leaves, Mm. it'll be safe again. Mm -hmm. And then I will have such a great view. So I'll let other people worry and I'll I'll take my position. (laughs) It's like the alternative to, like, a, a complete 180 to people leaving a concert where people will literally miss the last five minutes of a comedy show or anything so that they can get to their car first to leave the car park first so they don't have to queue. I don't know whether 
any other country is quite so pedantic about queuing as we are. Well, but I can just imagine that's just the opposite of that scenario. Like right the the inverted concert levers. Yes, these are people who, if anything, more people packed onto the bridge. Oh my god! Because um, they were like, "Look, it almost broke, but it didn't, so it's fine now." Yeah. Uh, at that point, after five minutes, though, the I bar on the second coupling also failed, mm. and having never been designed to hold anywhere near the amount of weight, the entire walkway pitched forwards into the water. Suddenly. It was a scene of utter pandemonium. And I will now give the, the account that was printed, and I need this to be clear, in a newspaper <laughs> okay, the so following day. For people to read. In a newspaper. This, is, this was written by a journalist in a newspaper. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, who shall paint the once mighty simultaneous agonising death scream which burst upon the affrighted multitude? Re-echoing from earth to heaven, may the appeal not be made in vain. One instant and all was bushed, save the struggling of a few whose lives it pleased their maker in his mercy to spare. The waters, we are told, as if gifted with a sudden impulse of horror at this fell swoop of death, recoiled in the impetus of the fall and boiled up at the back of the bridge, which hung perpendicularly below the surface of the river. Oh, sorry. I've got a really big snot. <laughs> You've totally ruined my soliloquy. As suddenly the struggle for life ended. You couldn't have held on five no. more seconds. <coughs> no. This is marriage in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, I had a really runny nose. I'm sorry. The river was flowing particularly fast that day and many of those who were not crushed against the railings by the weight of the crowd were swept away. Although boats rushed in to rescue the victims rather quickly because they mm. had a support team for Nelson, just in case he was... <laughs> just in case. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, 79 people died. <sighs> Most of them were children. Oh, my And the God. youngest was only two years old. Oh, no. The inquest began the very next day. And, of course, because they wanted to really understand what had happened to the bridge, a Scottish engineer named James Walker was appointed to lead it. Nelson the Clown and Cook's Circus were absolved of any culpability. Well, yeah, because they didn't actually do anything. They had nothing to do with the bridge. Well, that, that amount of people wouldn't have been on that bridge if it hadn't have been for the circus. Um, right. They were absolved of culpability anyway, though how Nelson felt about the incident has not been recorded because, of course, he was waiting somewhere near the bridge oh my God. for the crowd to get really going. And he obviously would have been looking, looking, seeing what's going on. And then he would have heard the snap and the screams and probably took his barrel out of the water, uncoupled the geese and just made a beeline back to his trailer. Like, oh no. But the circus, it survived. It will continue to tour. And the following year, they opened a show based on the life of Dick Turpin to rave reviews. Right. So good for them. Joseph John Scholes, you'll remember the uh, church builder Mm -hmm. who designed the bridge, Mm. he also escaped blame. The inquest decided that if they'd stuck to his original design and used the specifications he had insisted on, then the bridge would not have failed. Nope. Though you could say that only visiting your bridge once after it was completed and not noticing that it was an extra six metres long uh, suggested a certain amount of apathy uh, on his part to building the bridge. You feel like it was something he agreed to do. Yeah. And then 
as soon as he actually started having to draw the designs, he was just like, oh, oh, this, oh, so hard. I want to build a church again. I know, Joseph, you agreed. Well, <sighs> Fine, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Yeah, but they also decided that they wanted carts mm. going over it, and they also decided that they were going to stick two walkways on the side. So, mm. I mean, mm. yes, if you've designed something, really, you should go and check that they're making what you've designed. Yeah. But, similarly, but they pointed out things like if he'd done a cursory inspection, he would have noticed that they'd extended the walkway. He'd have yeah. noticed that they weren't really doing good welds on a lot of the joints and he yeah. might have had something to say about it. But in the end, they came up with three things okay. to blame the inquest. One, the decision to commission such a narrow bridge in the first place, saving wow. money. Okay. Two, the decision to change the plans and widen the bridge without investigating the potential impact. Mm-hmm. And three... The decision to not have regular inspections of the bridge to ensure ongoing safety. I should point out, they lengthened it, they bodged on an extra walkway and they sent a road over it and they never went back to it. They did all of that. Oh my God. Well, that'll be good for infinity. We'll we'll just leave that now. The bridge thing's sorted Um, and they never went back to it. Mm. However... Because all of these decisions had been made by local government committees, no one was ever punished. That's For what remains, to this point, the largest disaster ever experienced in Great Yarmouth. That's awful. Oh, and those little kiddies. Oh, Uh, my God. So that is your story of the Yarmouth Bridge disaster. Well, that has made me sad in my heart, so well done. 